Well, my name is Paul Reese, and I'm the lead pastor here at Charlotte Chapel, and I want to extend my welcome to you as well. If you're visiting here for the first time, it is a great joy to uh, have both uh, old friends and family here and uh, new friends, and so we look forward to getting to know you as well. Please stick around after our formal time and give us a chance to, uh, to catch up and get to know you. Uh, it's a joy to see Arwen back with us. And uh, Mark, we continue to pray for you and Tanya at this time. And it's a joy to be a family uh, together, gathered today. Let's ask his help as we come to his word. Father, what a delight it is to sing this truth that your son was called the friend of sinners. And so we know there's great hope for people like us. And so we come before you. As we open your word, we ask that you'd speak to us. Make these words, which may seem strange to our ears, as we look at this passage, make them alive by your spirit. Make us people of faith to stand upon your promises, to hope in Christ alone. We ask that in his precious name. Amen. Thanks, bro. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Have you seen that TV show? It's, got, it's on the BBC. And they get some famous people to... Uh, they ask them that question, who do you think that you are? And the way they explore the answer to that question is by looking at their family tree. Uh, I caught a bit of it this last week with John Bishop, the Liverpool uh, comedian. And it was quite fascinating, really, just to trace back through the generations and uh, to see how that shaped John Bishop. And when you think about it, uh, so much of who we are really is bound to our family tree. Uh, the name that you were born with goes back through the generations. You can go do computer searches for records and, and track that name. You share uh, your genetic inheritance with that family that just goes back and back and back. Probably the reason why you have the accent that you have and the, where, where you live is profoundly shaped by decisions made by your forebears. We are profoundly shaped. Our identity is shaped by that family tree. Who do you think you are? We have friends who have adopted many children and one of the things that we've come to see is that uh, it is a very profound question, this question of identity for the adopted child. They may not know their birth mother or their birth father. And they go up through life wrestling with that deep question, well, why did they not choose to keep me and care for me? And then also, um, what aspects of my personality are, 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 are just me? Or how much is it, am I just being like my dad or my granddad? These profound questions of identity. But I want to suggest to you today that there is an even more significant question. And it is this question. Who do you think Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? And I want to tell you today, I believe that the answer to that question, who do you think Jesus is, can have a more significant impact on your identity than even your birth parents. Who do you think Jesus is? 
Now, what does God have to say about this? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And you'll find that on page number 965, although it doesn't have the number at the top, but you'll work it out. 965, it's got big Matthew at the top that helps you see that. And today we're beginning a brand new series where we're going to work through the book of Matthew. So that's what we're, we're doing. We're going to work through the book of Matthew. We're going to do the infancy uh, narratives, obviously come to, amazingly, Christmas. Isn't that brilliant how these things come together? And in the new year, we're going to continue a series in the book of Matthew. So let's look at these first 17 verses. Page 965. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, Abiad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Eliad. Eliad, the father of Eliezer. Eliezer, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is God's word. Well, is that just a bit boring? No. That is brilliant. I want to convince you that this is brilliant. At the start of the week, I was chatting with Peter Granger, uh, who was my predecessor here in this church. And um, 
He's also very involved with the Wycliffe Bible translators. They, of course, go into uh, countries and people groups that don't have the Bible in their own language. And the translators will learn their language, often even come up with an alphabet for them, translate the Bible into that language, and then teach them to read their own Bible. And he was telling me about one translation project where they decided to translate Luke, but thought, let's skip the genealogy in chapter 3. They put the uh, Luke's gospel around and it had very little impact. So they decided that they would translate the whole of Luke, including the genealogy, and then they put that out and they were astounded at the impact that that had. Suddenly, loads of people were drawn to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, why was that? What made the difference? Well, this was a culture that took great pride in their ancestors. And many of them could actually um, recite many generations back the, the names of fathers and mothers. And when they saw Luke with the genealogy, what struck them for the very first time was that they were dealing with a real person. This was not a myth. This was not a, a story. A fairy tale? We are talking about Jesus, who is a real person, in this long list of fathers and their sons. And Luke, uh, no, we're not in Luke, so let's go back to Matthew. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is a real person. If you're coming here and you know nothing about Christianity, we want you to know that the person that we're talking about, Jesus, is not a made-up person. It's not like the tooth fairy or uh, uh, all the Santa Claus myths. We're talking about a real historical person who lived in the first century. And Matthew wants us to see some very important things about the identity of Jesus. In a sense, what we've got here is the uh, Who Do You Think You Are TV show for Jesus. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Well, Matthew tells us who he is by his family tree. Now, did you notice that there were two names that were, seemed more important than the others? You, what were they? David and Abraham. These two names jump out. Now, why these two men? These two men, I think, were picked... Because they uniquely were, were made promises to by God. God made incredible promises to David and Abraham. And I want us to think about these promises because it all links up to understanding the identity of Jesus. And so uh, we see that we're talking about uh, King David in verse 6. Jesse the father of King David. Well, we had the Bible reading read to us at the beginning of our service in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if I could just summarize what God promised to David. Uh, God promised him that there would be an everlasting kingdom of peace for his people. That they would have a home. A place free from their enemies. It would be an everlasting kingdom of peace. And it would come through a descendant of David. Who would be the king of this eternal, everlasting 
kingdom. That is what was promised to David, an extraordinary promise. And Matthew wants us to see this very first verse of Matthew chapter 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who are we talking about with this Jesus? Well, we're talking about the, the one that God promised to David. This is the son who fulfills that very promise. The one who would bring in the everlasting kingdom of peace for his people, who would rule uh, forever on David's throne. That's who we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus. That's why he's called Christ. Jesus Christ. It's not his surname. Uh, it is his job description. Uh, I am Paul Reese is my surname, but if I, if I would do it the way it's written here, I would be Paul the pastor. It is Jesus the Christ. But he also mentions Abraham, doesn't he? Abraham had some stupendous promises made to him. So keep your finger in Matthew and turn back to Genesis chapter 12. And you'll find that on page 13 in the church Bibles. Page 13. What's extraordinary here is that God asks Abraham, who later became Abraham, changed his name, uh, to leave all the symbols that would have linked to his identity. Verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, <coughs> your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And he asks him to do this on the basis of a promise. And here's the promise, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. An amazing promise, considering that Abraham was childless. God says, out of you, I'm going to give you descendants, so many that it's going to become a great nation. And I will bless you, Abraham, and through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Come back to Matthew and notice the very first sentence of his gospel. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you get his point? When you get this Old Testament background, this is a, an incredible start to his gospel. God promised through Abraham that blessing would come to all the peoples of the earth. And, and, and Matthew doesn't want us to miss this. Jesus is that son of Abraham that brings God's blessing to all peoples. It is an absolutely thrilling start. Because the point in, in this point in history, it kind of looked as if God had given up on his promises. Look at verse 17. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile. God had promised them a land, a nation, to have peace forever uh, in his kingdom. And yet in the exile, they were thrown out of the land. Uh, the Davidic king line looked all over. Uh, they were... They were not at peace. 
Their enemies were victorious. And it looked like God had not come through on his promises. But Matthew wants to see that there were 14 generations from the exile to the Christ. Look at verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jesus comes in the line of David and Abraham through adoption on Joseph's side. You see, he changes the pattern. He was the father of this son. He was the father of this son. But actually, there's something different going on here, isn't there? Jacob, the father of Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. He is in the line of David, and yet he's a break in the line. And we're going to learn next week how that comes about. Are you excited to find out? I'm excited every year Christmas comes around. Tell me the story again. Because God breaks in. This baby that Mary carries is one given her by the Holy Spirit. Here's someone who is fully human and fully divine, who comes in fulfillment of all God's promises. Here is the one who is the king, who's going to bring in a a kingdom of peace and blessing to all God's people. And this blessing extends to all the peoples of the earth. That blessing comes through the Lord Jesus. That's what we're being told here in Matthew's account. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful truth. That's the identity of this Jesus. Now here's my next question. What's the significance of the identity of this Jesus? And it's all there in that genealogy. The significance. Do you see how God is is working out this amazing plan of salvation? He plans to bring blessing back to a world that's all broken because of our messing it up. But it's not just a grand plan of salvation. He cares about the individuals in that plan. Do you see, he, we take time to name, to name them. They matter. God is concerned. God was involved in the individual lives of each of these people as he was working out this great plan of salvation. There are 40 fathers listed there with all sorts of interesting names. I'm not even sure I pronounced them correctly, but there we are. Just say them with confidence. What can we say about these men? Well, they were just like us, if you're a man. Uh, Capable of doing great, brave, loving acts, but also capable of foolish, sinful choices, selfish choices, Men who broke promises, failed to live up to the expectations of their spouses and their children. People just like us. But people who were shaped by the promise of God. Who lived their lives around the promises of God. And what is even more extraordinary here is that we also have five women listed. Now, in ancient accounts... Women didn't get mentioned. I mean, if there were 40 fathers, there were 40 mothers, right? That's logic, isn't it? 
but they didn't tend to get mentioned. If you go through Luke's genealogy, there's, there's, women are not mentioned. But Matthew has taken great pains to highlight and point out five women. And the extraordinary thing is that he picks these women. If there's one thing that probably unites all these women, is that they all share the experience of disgrace. Of disgrace. Uh, Whether they uh, committed disgrace or experienced disgrace. Tamar. Tamar, who, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really ugly story. But she ended up having to kind of disguise herself as a prostitute. And she seduced her father-in-law, who was a widower, so that he would make her pregnant. Judah had it coming in some ways because uh, he had denied her justice. But it was an all a very ugly business. Rahab, verse 5. She didn't have to disguise herself as a prostitute. She was a prostitute. She was a Gentile Canaanite prostitute in Jericho. And yet she chose to believe the promises of God. She recognized that God had given them this land. And she protected the spies who were spying out the land. And she and her family were saved as Jericho was destroyed. And she became fully integrated into the life of Israel. And actually married this guy Salmon. Now that would have been a fascinating story, wouldn't it? But she married Salmon and became the great, great grandmother of King David. What a story. Or Ruth. Ruth was a... Gentile, a Moabite. Now, if you look at the history of the Moabites in the Bible, it's a very sordid backstory. Uh, the, the Moabite nation were kind of a despised nation by Israel for various reasons. They, they, they were forbidden from becoming part of the people of God. And yet she, uh, through, um, through personal tragedy and through her loyalty, she would end up um, in Bethlehem, and in the arms of Boaz. She renounced her pagan past and its polytheistic, polytheistic worship, and she embraced the God who had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she became part of the royal line. Bathsheba. Her name doesn't even get mentioned. Did you see that? In verse um, 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Even to mention Uriah's name just brings back the scandal associated with this. This uh, woman had suffered sexual abuse. She had suffered uh, her husband being murdered. And then uh, she fathered uh, Children with King David, who would therefore be in the line and an ancestor of Jesus. And then finally, verse 16, Mary. Mary, pregnant with Jesus before the wedding day, and the father was not Joseph. That scandal 
would carry with her throughout her life. Amazing. Isn't it amazing that Matthew put these names in? Why did he do that? What's the purpose of that? Well, the purpose is this, I believe, because he wants to show us God's amazing grace. He wants to show us that God just loves, loves to um, redeem sinners. He loves to take broken lives and make them beautiful. He loves to take lives that have experienced disgrace and through his grace give them lives of honor. He, he loves to uh, reconcile enemies to be his friends. He longs to take foreigners and strangers and bring them into his family and make them his children. This is the sort of God that we have. A God of grace. A God who achieves these amazing acts of transformation in people's lives through his son, Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There is the significance of this amazing genealogy. It sets us up beautifully for this extraordinary person, Jesus, that we're going to encounter as we work through this book of Matthew. Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners. We're going to learn next week. Call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. God is going to bring about this amazing transformation where he takes people into his everlasting kingdom and turns their brokenness into beauty, uh, brings them into his family, and he's going to do it all through this Jesus. That's what he did. How did he do it? Well, he's going to save his people from their sins. By going to die for them on a cross. On the cross he takes our shame. Our disgrace. Our sin. He takes it upon himself. He dies for our sin. And he is raised to life. So that we can be people who have honor. And dignity. And acceptance. And welcome into his family. Christmas is such good news, isn't it? It's, I can't wait. I mean, I just want to tell people about it. What hope. What joy. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Do you know what? Christmas represents an opportunity for you to see your identity not by your birth parents, Maybe that's a wonderful story. Maybe it's not a wonderful story. Maybe there's a long line of dysfunction and brokenness in your family. Christmas says you don't need to be defined by that. If you'll submit to Jesus as your king, if you'll rely upon him as your savior, he'll give you forgiveness. He'll bring you into his family. 
And your identity can be profoundly shaped by this reality that you know and trust Jesus, the King, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. This good news that is, brings God's blessing to all the peoples of the earth who will come and submit to this King. Will you build your life around this Jesus? Have you done that? Have you built your life around Jesus? Have you entered into his kingdom? Will you shape your future on the promises of God that we have in Christ? Oh, I hope that you will. I wonder what your response is today. Remember, he cares about individuals. It's about individual response. Can I just say to the men today that your greatest achievement in life is to be a loving father to your children. Whether that's to your birth children or to your adopted children. Your greatest achievement in life is to be a loving father to your children. Look at this list. What's the basic summary of their life? So-and-so fathered so-and-so. And each of these individuals, in some sense, modeled to their children that they were holding on to the promises of God. Your greatest achievement in life is not going to be achieved in your workplace. Do you understand that? It's in your home. As you model a life submitted to King Jesus, a life of hope and reliance upon his salvation. And as you hand those gospel promises on to your children and your grandchildren, that is probably going to be our greatest achievement. And if today you are feeling heartbroken because you look at your children and you think, well, right now they are nowhere, just remember, just remember how messed up these people's lives were. Remember Tamar, remember Rahab, remember Ruth, remember Bathsheba. This is a God who loves to redeem sinners and welcome them into his family. Praise God. Let's pray.